Hello and welcome to Sporting Directors Corner here on Get Football Plus, where we aim to look at football in the context of Sporting Directors, delve a little bit deeper into this multifaceted role and its impact within football across the globe. My name is Shade Ash, I'm the COO at Get Football Group and I'll be your host today and I'm delighted as always to be joined by my co-host David. David, how are you today? I'm well, Shay Lash. I'm well. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. The sun is shining. We're recording this uh, towards the end of the season. So uh, weather always takes a nice turn. So David, what are we talking about today? So we're going to try to look at managers, hiring managers, the change that would be needed. And we're looking at that through the lens of um, sporting directors, as always. And I just wanted to initially just start off with, you know, throwing some numbers out at you. And you know, these, this information has come from... Um, football transfers website so thank you very much for that and basically what it's showing is over the course of the last season there have been 53 sackings of managers right and you know the Premier League is the highest with 14 La Liga's had 11 Serie A's had 8 Bundesliga's had 8 and League One has had 12 so I mean I guess what it shows is hiring managers is a very very important part of an organisation and, you know, sporting directors, they obviously play a key role. But actually, that's my first question for you, David. I mean, do most sporting directors make that higher or are there variations? I mean, what, what do you see? Yes, it's an it's a important um, distinction to, to think about in a, uh, a or your club's specific context. It really depends on the club. It's just just like how a sporting director may be titled a technical director in a different league or a different country. It really boils down to what that owner or ownership group uh, prefers. And it always goes back to alignment. How How is it aligned? How do we align our ownership, our club, culture, and identity with our sporting director who we have in place uh, and how do we get a manager uh, to leverage a playing style and or leadership that meshes with that? You're kind of already seeing that disconnect. Um, eh, maybe disconnect is unfair, but you kind of see that issue with Chelsea, um, with hiring a manager, but then even more so in recent last few days with Tottenham. You, you don't want to Bring in, bring in a manager before you have a sporting director simply because the sporting director is supposed to be, uh, to use Dan Ashworth's uh, analogy, he's the center of the, the wheel or the hub, and he sees the academy. He sees the first team. He sees the pathways. He sees the sponsorships. He sees, some, in some cases, the women's team. He sees everything. So you want that person who is in the middle of everything to be able to have somebody that he has confidence in to lead the first team. No, that, I mean, yeah, obviously it's always going to be dependent on the club. Um, but I wanted to just just dig a bit deeper into, um, so you, you put out a thread a while ago, I'll add that into the show notes for everybody, where you kind of gave like nine thoughts on, on hiring a manager. But before we kind of go into some of those thoughts and, and dive that a little bit deeper, I just wanted to ask um, sporting directors' egos, do, do they do they need one to hire a manager? And the kind of examples I'm seeing is you you have managers with big egos like Jose Mourinho and Pep Guardiola and and you know Thomas Tuchel that 
you know, as well as maybe some more developmental ones or I guess newer ones like, you know, Roberto De Zerbi or Will Sill. Do they need an ego? I mean, what kind of characteristics do you think these sporting directors need to be able to make these hires? 100%. Um, I'm saying this as a former professional athlete. If you do not have an ego, you will get eaten alive in a sporting landscape. And then from a business perspective, if you don't have an ego, um, I don't know how you last long term, simply because there has to be a uh, connection to the identity that you are working for. Uh, back in a more um, sporting context, just just because you don't see the sporting director of, say, um, I think of Lazio, just top of mind in Italy, just because you don't see Ilitare, and he's he's a redhead, and you know he has red hair, just because you don't see him every single match day, you don't see him in front of the uh, the cameras uh, talking every single match, it does not mean he doesn't have an ego. Now, just like with any line of work, the best sporting directors, the best leaders know when to, quote unquote, show their face or to um, show their power. Uh, if you have a Mourinho, you know that when you interviewed him, right? So you need to be able to leverage his leadership, but then also you have to be able to know when to rein it in. Right. I mean... It does definitely feel to me a sporting director needs to have a certain level of um, of ego to be able to deal with these managers, as well as ownership as well, right? I mean, ownership usually always has an ego as well, right? So, you know, where do these guys fit in that structure and how much of their, I would say, ego do they impart across the organisation? But, you know, let's, you know, if you look at your thread, you know, there, there were nine thoughts on there. You know, we're talking things like fit and alignment. We're talking things like leadership. You know, we're talking even things like actually building a team. There are quite a lot of facets in there. I mean, what what key ones do you think are really, really important for when it comes to hiring these managers? You know, what do you feel are really, really important that should be real top of the tree kind of stuff, regardless of what club you're in, you know, from our background, from your business background, even your, you know, from your athlete days? Yeah, I mean, they're all important. However, uh, it, it's kind of um, one domino leads to the next. And if you, if you would approach it in a manner that is, um, dare I say, checklist driven with the highest priority first, you find yourself eliminating, uh, let's just say, the, the, the lesser options. Um, when we talk about uh, sport, but more so world football, you have a lot of possibilities, especially in 2023. So whether you're recruiting a player or a manager, there's so many out there, right? So you almost have to invert your thinking. You have to invert your thinking, talk about who can I eliminate? So the the most important elimination, and I'll just do the, um, we'll do the top three and then I'll throw in a caveat on just as far as a a wild card that I think is, is important, but it kind of floats as far as importance. You, there has to be alignment. The owner, ownership, the board, and the club identity. There has to be alignment. If you're, um, if you're say Red Bull, and this is a crazy example, but if you're Red Bull and you're looking to hire Jose Mourinho next year, they do not align. I mean, you can talk about um, his his pedigree all you want and what he's done, and that is undisputed. But he just—he's not a Red Bull manager. If that makes sense. Hopefully, that's stark enough of a contrast to where the example um, 
uh, paints the picture. Uh, but also with that alignment, whether it's playing style, demeanor, um, and, and you know, it seems like every episode I find a club to um, uh, point out their their wrongs in a sense. But I say that as objectively as I can. When you look at Tottenham, you know, when you bring in uh, Nuno Espirito Santo, when you bring in uh, Antonio Conte, when you bring in Jose Mourinho, do they really align with what the club is about? I'm not a Spurs fan. I'm not going to go into that. But what I'm saying, what, how did you get to this point as a club, right? What is your club identity and what's your club uh, culture? Because you cannot answer leadership and that, that that manager is going to be the face of your club the majority of the time it's on Sky Sports or, you know, whatever uh, uh, league or, or country uh, media rights wise. Right. So there needs to be alignment with leadership. There needs to be alignment with playing style. And then, you know, in the States, we always talk about um, especially football, uh, American football and then um, basketball. We talk about, oh, he's a players coach. He connects with the players. He connects with the players. I find it hilarious because no, <laughs> no coach, no coach is going to get far. And uh, I would say the last generation is when I played, you know, early 2000s. Um, but then going forward now, if you do not um, connect with players as humans, you will not lead them. You know, there's just you know, you won't lead them for long. Right. So there has to be a, an element of human personal connection that is uh, I'm going to use the word visceral. Um, I have a it's not really a joke, but it's more so an insight um, after having pets for the majority of my lifetime and then the last 10 years having children, um, children and, and, and dogs especially, they know when you don't like them. They know when you don't want to lead them past what is good for you. And I would even make a step further in my you know, somewhat odd correlation here. Young athletes, young men, uh, they know when you do not really want to make them better. And that point alone, um, it speaks to the identity of the club and then the, the, the identity of ownership. What are we trying to get at? If you don't have somebody who's strong in leadership and strong in personal relationships, which the common denominator for all those things is communication. So one manager that I share Basically, I share, I share every uh, press conference that he has is Circle Bruges, um, Miran Muslich. I, I'm biased because I, I like how he communicates. However, every time he talks, he paints a picture of where they are, what they're striving to correct, what they're good at, and what he expects out of his team. These, these sound like simple things. But it's massive in um, it's massive in communicating to his players who they are. It's, it reiterates who they have been, but also it it subtly creates a timeline of expectation that ownership and the, the sporting director can't always share every single time. I mean, let's take a step back. When do we hear from sporting directors and ownership, if if at all? When they sign somebody, right? That's the only time we hear from them for the most part. Whereas the manager, we're hearing from them basically 
you know, if, if you take out um, tournaments, we're hearing from them every six, you know, five to seven days, roughly. So if you have a manager who can lead and communicate to all facets of the club, players, backroom staff, ownership, sporting director, supporters, media, you have somebody who is, he's checking a lot of boxes so that the the mouthpiece of the club is consistent. Um, and then, you know, just, I, I uh, alluded to this early, earlier, the one facet of um, a manager that I think is important, very important, is I'm going to call it uh, open-mindedness. And that open-mindedness is a domino that really affects a, playing attractive football. I mean, in different countries and different leagues, that's different things. But B, we can talk about attractive football all we want. You have to score goals. You have to. You know, um, if you can't score goals, you can't win uh, tournaments. You can't win. Um, you can't win the league. You know, usually. So, at the end of the day, uh, I know that was a mouthful there. You, you, you really need a sporting director has to be able to discern who we are, where we are with you know our identity, our club culture, and who can bridge that gap. Are we looking for somebody as far as a manager who's really only going to be here a season, maybe two seasons? Is that what we're doing? Or are we getting somebody who um, is an okay communicator, but he's going to get us results? And that you cannot make those decisions without having a crystal clear idea of who you are as a club. It has to be crystal clear. That's really interesting. I'm gonna, I'm gonna just throw something back at you. I mean, it sounds to me like sporting directors they can hire the manager, let them be the voice and the face, and let them take all the heat. And then if they get fired, I mean, you don't really hear many sporting directors getting fired, if I'm honest, right? So out of all of those clubs that we mentioned at the top of the show, um, and all of those leagues, are sporting directors judged on a bad managerial hire? I'm just curious, like, or should they be more? So, I think it's the latter. Um, sporting directors, it's really hard to fire a sporting director unless unless you are confident that they have failed in uh, reaching the objective in which you hired them, right? Um, again, that's subjective to ownership. However, mm-hmm. if I'm sitting in my uh, ivory, ivory tower of uh, sporting director uh, best practices, if you will, you you cannot you cannot hire a manager and not align yourself to the results right because that that manager he is the first line of defense in your objectives literally and figuratively so if i if i as a sporting uh director hire um i mean i mean i think the best example is just off the top of my head is sevilla uh, I know I talk about Manchi a lot. I, I'm, I'll be open in my uh, admiration for what he's done. However, they have failed miserably borderline this this season domestically because they have not gotten recruitment, which is Manchi's for, first protocol. But then they've also not done a great job with hiring the right manager in place for where they are with the talent in the club. I shared a tweet yesterday. 
Um, it's about uh, Pep Guardiola. Hold on. Let me let me not guess. Let me pull it up. And Pep Guardiola, he's basically saying that there's no there's not really such thing as tactics. You have players, right? You like the, the players are the tactics. So if you if you take that quote and then you realize how important recruitment is, if you don't have the players that can do certain things, but you have the manager who's really only good at doing one or two things, you're going to be fighting relegation the majority of the season. And that that is what has happened at Sevilla. That being said, to answer your question point blank, the, the sporting director has to own that mistake. He has to, or sorry, he has to own the, the results or lack thereof in that situation. Um, from what I see, Manchi does that. You know, he may not be there once the season's over, regardless of what happens at the Europa League uh, final. Um, time will tell. But sporting directors are very, they're very central to the recruitment and, and the club. I'm going to use the word ethos. However, uh, if you're good, when I say good, I mean you are achieving objectives towards the mission, whether it's uh, Champions League or Europe places or winning the league or you know uh, promoting youth. If you're good at achi- achieving those objectives, it's really, I would say it's really not smart <laughs> for ownership to take you out of that situation because you're the one who's connecting the club from the grassroots to the boardroom. Yeah, no, I, I, I get that. I get that because, you know, and this is what we're trying to break down every week, you know, the, the actual size of this role that a sporting director has in a club and, and all the linkages within it, you know, they are effectively the, the central hub in potentially, you know, a wheel where your spokes coming out to each of the various departments, you know, is, is what that sporting director does and of which the managerial or the head coach and first team part which is obviously the most outward facing part is is just one piece of that of that jigsaw so um it does it does make sense but i was just curious if um sporting directors do sometimes get a an easy ride but obviously not based on <laughs> based on what you've been saying um just just going back to then um we talked a bit about open-mindedness and you know i've i you know i like to look in different ways between like a fixed mindset and a growth mindset and and how that operates within clubs. I mean, you see certain clubs making decisions. I mean, I'm just going to throw Bayern out there, right? They, they, they got Nagelsmann, a young manager who was obviously up and coming and they tried it, but for whatever reason, it didn't work. And then they went back to a tried and tested manager, I guess, with Thomas Tuchel, right? So do you do you think that um, that type of trial, I would say, is is more evident with the way sporting directors operate now? You know, are they willing to take a little bit more risk? I know we talked last week about de-risking as much as possible, but I'm just wondering, is there, are you seeing more risk being taken by these sporting directors these days when it comes to managerial hires? When you say risk, do you mean as far as um, like getting a an intended result? Like as far as wins? Or do you mean just as far as, uh, I'm going to say, proof of concept in that manager? I'd, I'd probably go proof of concept basically. So, you know, that's what I'm looking at. I mean, this is a completely left field question. We we didn't, we didn't rehearse this one at all, David. So let's see. (laughs) No, no, no worries. Um, so I'll do my best to go. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I I guess, I guess, I guess the point, 
everyone, you know, you look at Pep Guardiola and you think, you know what, I'll just want Pep Guardiola, right? Or a manager that's going to try to mimic that style because that's obviously a style that works, right? So let me try and find someone that can, or maybe has got some of the attributes that he has, right? So, but do they, and you know, and then maybe just forget about some of the other stuff that I need to be doing, you know, under the hood at the club. So it's that kind of idea I think I'm playing with here as to whether that happens more. Yeah, the reason why I'm, I'm thinking before I even start talking is because the I think, this is my opinion, the, the, the most common pitfall that I've seen looking at almost 150 different sporting director um, situations, if you call it, just even more so than actual directors, is that you have to have a firm understanding of the first team changing room. Okay, let's not avoid that. If you do not know how to handle grown men who are icons globally, as a sporting director, I'm not even talking about as a manager. If you do not know how to lead them, how to connect with them, how to talk to them, anybody you bring in either has to have that skill or, you know, to be to be candid, they have to be better than the sporting director at that skill. So your question is, honestly, that is the 50 million euro question, right? Because there, I mean, I'm fairly confident to be overly generalistic about it. I'm fairly confident you can pluck an under 19 uh, German Bundesliga manager and they can, they can coach tactically how to do 95% of the, the role at that nine, like, one of the harshest realities um, that I've learned uh, in the sporting world and the business world, and I say harsh because I can't think of another word Friday morning on the East Coast in the United States. Uh, you you have to be good at people. I don't, I, I mean, when you look at San Antonio Spurs, when you look at the New York Yankees, Boston Red Sox, New England Patriots, Los Angeles Dodgers, Manchester City, when you look at... Um, you know, just to use the example currently, uh, Roma, when you look at Fire Nord, when you look at uh, Borussia Dortmund, Bayern, usually, you know, uh, when you look at uh, those level of clubs, the leadership in those scenarios has done a good job, if not exceptional job, in amassing talented individuals, right? That That is not up for debate. However, how you maintain high performance is through relationship. Yes, you can have as many sleeping pods as you want. You can have a sleep coach. You can have beetroot extract. You know, you, you can have whatever you want nutritionally and resource-wise as a club. You have to have somebody who is part and parcel to understanding human humans and high performance. I mean, um, I'll stay away from the UK with this example for, for once. Look at look at PSG. How much talent have they spent on in the last decade? Right. I'll go back. I'll go back um, 10, 12 years ago. One of the most one of my favorite players of all time, Javier Pastore. Right. Goes to Palermo, does very well in Serie A. And then he was one of the marquee signings for PSG uh, with a new group. Say what you want about Javier Pastore, but that is that is what PSG does. They bring in high talented um, players, 
How many times have they brought in a highly talented manager? I'm not saying that they haven't. What I'm saying is that their objective has been to win Champions League, right? Uh, for the most part, because the league is, is let me just be respectful and say winnable. Um, but Champions League is what their remit has been for almost 15 years, if not longer. How, how have they bridged that gap? You know, ironically, the one uh, director who I think is best, who has been best fit for that club has been Leonardo. But there's been two or three fallouts, you know, mm-hmm. because if the top, if the, I believe it's what, QSG or whatever their ownership group is from the uh, Middle East, however the top sees the football, the technical part, there's no bridge. There's no bridge that one person has been able to connect consistently. So you can bring in Neymar, you can, through different machinations, um, respectfully, can get Mbappe, you can bring in Messi, you can bring in Zlatan Ibrahimovic, you can bring in whoever you want. If you do not have leadership at the very top who knows how to maintain, inspire, and then re-maintain and re-inspire high-performing individuals, you will never get to your ultimate goal. And that's what we see at PSG. Um, I'm just saying that as a somebody who's observed it. They they have all the, t- literally have all the talent in the world necessary. But what is the disconnect? Human performance when it's needed. You don't get that. You don't get that by bringing in World Cup winners. You don't get that by having the best facilities and the best resources. You get that by having at least one or two individuals. And those one or two individuals need to be the director, sporting director, technical director, and the manager who are unrelenting in their uh, commitment to the relationships with those high-performing individuals. I mean, I can go on a tangent with Real Madrid or even Manchester City. I know that those are hot-button topics just as far as funding of those clubs and what have you, but one thing has to be crystal clear. Their leadership has a commitment to excellence that goes past transfer tags. It goes past tactics. And that is, to me, that is the 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 indisputable truth. Yeah, I think the, the PSG, I think the only the, the manager that comes to mind where they I guess the more of a up and coming one was Pochettino, I think, when he when he went there. But he obviously again didn't work out for whatever reasons. Because I if it, it feels like certain clubs focus more on the players and having these big, big star players and uh and the manager is almost like an afterthought in some respects, right? Which is uh, which is slightly strange. Um, and, and you rarely, I think, see the big clubs hire these types of managers. I mean, obviously, like I said, Bayern tried it with Nagelsmann. Arsenal obviously are trying it with Arteta right now. It feels like, but obviously, he's come from the Pep Guardiola school of uh, which he's probably he's probably built some credit up there. Um, so, I mean, it's 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 interesting that you mentioned that with regards to sporting directors. I mean, just kind of looking a bit differently now. I mean, one of the things on on the on the thoughts that you had for hiring managers, you, you talk about checklists and checklists for sporting directors when they hire managers. It all sounds great in theory, right? I mean, in my in my business, and I guess in your business, you know, I, I kind of live by checklists somewhat um, to hopefully get that success. But do these sporting directors really have checklists, David? Or are they kind of winging it a little bit sometimes? And I'm really, really for Jesus with that comment, but I was just throwing it out there to see what you think. 
Yeah, it's just it's just like with anything else. You have those who talk about it. You you have those who actually do it, and then you have those that um, let's be honest, make it up as they go. And it's not my my role to necessarily judge that. However, success leaves clues. If you look mm-hmm. at some of the most consistent clubs, um, they they have they have a uh, they have a framework. When I look at and I talk about FC Northland all the time. Um, look at Brighton. That you cannot, you cannot get to a point as a club, especially when you have to function at a high level fiscally, right? Um, that's the thing that uh, you know. I, I know that I straddle uh, two different worlds here when I talk about sporting directors. The the amount of money flowing through clubs in European football makes it to where you have to have a framework of how you make decisions. If you do not have that, you will be, I mean, (laughs) you will be relegated and destitute as a club within three to five seasons if you do not have a framework of how to recruit players, why you recruit players. And that to me is why a checklist is important because when you have a checklist, guess what you can do with a checklist? You can multiply it times your infrastructure depending on the role and the clubs that are consistently successful i mean let's use brighton let's use brighton let's use uh say barusha dortmund and then um uh sc lorient and and france and trying to think of uh in, in italy let's say um uh sassuolo when we take it back to managers, their managers have to be able to play a consistent, discernible, obviously identifiable way of playing, right? Now, do they actually have checklists? I don't know. I mean, it seems like they do because they seem to get the same type of managers. Let's hmm. go to the other extreme. Red Bull Red Bull does not mandate that you play um, uh, 4-4-2, right? They don't mandate that. However, they have principles of play. So the, the, when we talk about risk, when I talk about risk, I always talk about the risk of the unknown, right? Because the risk of the unknown is, I mean, not, not to get too much into that theory with, uh, you know, anti-fragility and the black swan and, and all those things that those of us in the business world are, are way too familiar with. I don't want to go into that conversation. However, you, you want to know that the person that you have leading, um, you know, 18 to 25 younger men, you know, usually you want to know that they know what they're doing. How do you know that? I mean, you can have however many uh, contacts in your in your cell phone, uh, your smartphone. You can go to conferences, but like what? Like at the end of the day, how, what questions do you ask? I, I shared the the um, thread earlier this week. Uh, Frank Arneson, who I think it was some type of bacterial infection, or, or he he was fighting something last summer. But he, he spoke to how he went about hiring Arne Slot, And he said, I have about 15 to 20 questions I ask all managers that I'm recruiting. Look, that's not, I don't know if that's written down or not, but that's a checklist because every mm-hmm. single question has a possible reality. I'm not saying a best answer, but it has a possible reality. In my business, when I hire somebody, one of my questions that I ask is, and it's, it's tailored based on the candidate. How do you compete? Have you played sports? Do you play sports? Do you play an instrument? How do you compete? 
Because if I don't know how you deal with competition, I don't know if I can bring you into a situation where there's going to be high. Well, let me rephrase. I know that I cannot bring you in with high expectation into an environment where there is a lot of competition. The same thought process, or maybe more so the same, um, I said it earlier, elimination of thought needs to be there. Too often times uh, in recruitment, we want to hire people based on our gut. Guess what? The smarter route is to eliminate people based on our gut. If if I know that you are good at four three three or you know tiki taka whatever, how are you with humans? How did you greet our secretary when you walked into the facility, right? How do you, like these these are questions that are deeper than you know transfer tags or deeper than um, say uh, flying wingers and, and inverted inverted fullbacks. However, it speaks to thinking deeply about the role of leadership. And maybe that's the Trojan horse in this whole, this, this whole um, hiring manager um, uh, conversation. How do we think about hiring managers? Are we hiring them for a result or are we hiring them for a journey? And the clubs that usually do well at hiring managers hire them for that portion of the journey. That, if you think about it, what I just said is a bomb because most clubs hire for a result because they're short-term focus. But when you have a long-term focus, it forces you to, to not only think about the, um, the tactics, but what is the overall strategy. And the overall strategy I mean, Diego Simeone is is a kind of a lightning rod when it comes to a lot of things in football. But he has one saying that he says all the time that I think more managers should say, even if they don't believe it, ironically. Club always comes first. The club always comes first. I can say what I want. I can want what I want. The players can want what they want. But what is best for Atletico Madrid? If you can think like that as far as a sporting director when you're interviewing candidates or when you're making a shadow list of candidates, it forces you to eliminate more so than elect. And um, as we all know, hiring a manager is not like football manager or FIFA on, on, the, on the, play, the, 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 the playing consoles. There are so many more intangibles that go into it than just black and white wins, draws, losses, points per match position of play it is so much more uh, robust than that. No, that makes sense. I mean, hiring is never easy, you know, and even like when I hire a manager or try to build a team, it's always you look at the person and you think, are they in it for themselves? Are they in it for the team they're trying to build? Are they in it for the organization as a whole, right? And you've got to find that balance amongst it all to choose the right person. And you're right, you do try to take that gut out of the equation but often that gut definitely gives you a little sway onto what direction you're going to go. Um, David, listen, this has really been insightful, and I think there's probably a lot more we can go into. Um, and hiring just forms one part. Hiring managers just forms one part of the bigger recruitment puzzle that a sporting director obviously has to deal with on a day-to-day basis. And you know, we're going to delve deeper into recruitment um, in in the coming weeks. If you've not heard. The previous episodes already, you know, we looked at Andrea Schicker um, and fit and alignment. We looked at Michael Emanello, um, sorry, Emanello, you know, and his curriculum at Chelsea, you know, and we've done Brighton and admired the way they look at succession planning and their discipline and 
you know, we hope you've enjoyed today's conversation. Um, it's a bit more of a broader one today. Um, but, you know, as always, please give us some feedback. We would really love to hear what you think, any topics that you think we should be focusing on looking into that you, you know, you may have seen on David's account. And, you know, let us know what you think. Um, and we'll hopefully see you on the next one. As always, you can see more from Get Football on our various outlets. We'll add a link in the show notes. I'll also add a link for the thread that we talked about today on hiring managers, as well as David's account on Twitter as well. And lastly, just want to say thank you for being here with us. And we hope you have a good day.